Hello and welcome to EM Talk. EM Talk is a podcast sponsored by Axon Education and the Texas EMS School, and we are devoted to diving into the real world of EMS and everything relative. We interview real EMS providers, real hospital providers, real patients, and get the real story on what's going on currently in the world of EMS and what we can do to make it better. We traveled on in the dark of night. We weren't going to stop again until we found somewhere safe to park. It doesn't seem right. Everything had become less populated when things started getting bad, but the towns we were driving through and past seemed desolate. We were slightly isolated in our small rural frontier, so maybe we had missed something. It seemed as though the apocalypse had happened and we just didn't know about it. There were gas stations to stop at, but unlike the one we had such a bad experience at, there were no menacing store owners for Mark to tackle. Most of the places, we had to go from pump to pump in order to get any fuel at all. But we were making it. Our families had both gone to the same location. There was a compound near the Gulf Coast. The way the military figured, at least they could set up with their border to the ocean and eliminate one side of the threat if an outbreak were to occur. We knew they made it safe, and we were able to contact them once a week. When they first got there, they were in awe of what had been constructed. The compound had 20-foot walls bordering the entire thing. The walls were made out of cinder block with small barred windows about every 30 yards. There was a gate to the back and a gate to the front. Both gates were large enough for heavy equipment to enter and exit, and each gate was controlled by two keys, one used on each side of the gate. The keys were transferred secretly to different key keepers every 12 hours, reducing the risk of any rioters getting the keys and opening the gates. According to my wife Allison, they had large guns and tall guard towers every 50 yards or so around the border and two towers in the center of the compound. Armed guards patrolled the borders and bunkhouses every hour on the hour. The living quarters were not luxurious and many families were placed in big bunkhouses to conserve space. The food was simple and scarce except for fish Allison hates fish, but being by the ocean, it was an easy protein together. They tried to maintain education for the children in the compound, but what we had learned from right before the bigger problems started was that it is difficult to maintain normal education in these circumstances. The adults all had jobs, farming, hunting, cooking, cleaning, maintenance. The military also decided it was best to draft some of the adult population into their ranks and train them as well. Of course, these compounds were designed only for the healthy, and space was limited. Those that could manage on their own were not given priority or entrance to the compound. Most of the first responders out there were put in a situation where they had to keep working and send their families away. Some of my first responder friends had gone off to work other places while their families were safe in the compounds. Anyways, Mark and I were headed for the coast. As we drove, it was mostly in silence. I turned to Mark and said, What are we going to do when it gets dark again? I wish we could just keep driving, but we both need to sleep in order to stay strong and safe while we move. Mark said, I think we need to find somewhere indoors to park the truck. 
Maybe we could look for an ambulance station with an indoor bay in one of these towns? That sounds like a plan. We're coming up to the town that I think Casey went to work in. Casey had gone to work in Gatesville. There were several rural communities in that area, and one of the hospitals had been converted into an IQ zone. Of course, the prison system there created a large problem as well, so they needed more first responders. As we approached the town, I couldn't help but wonder if the same thing had happened there, and the IQ zone had been overwhelmed that the converted would be everywhere. After we hit the exit, our question was answered. Something had definitely gone wrong. We immediately started to see bodies in abandoned cars on the side of the road. We saw closed up businesses and houses that looked as if no one had been there in weeks. So far, no sign of any converted. I had no idea where the EMS station was in this town, and neither did Mark. We kept driving, following the hospital signs, hoping that the station wouldn't be far from there. We eventually found the hospital. The hospital doors were off the hinges, and there was no sign of movement anywhere. As we circled the small facility, we saw an ambulance parked down the street, outside of a little building. That must be at least one of the stations, said Mark. We turned down the street and drove carefully towards it. The truck parked outside of the station was torn to pieces. It looked like a horde of bricks had flown through the windows and almost through the truck. I told Mark to park out front of the station and to keep the engine running just in case. I got out with the one shotgun shell we had. I slowly moved towards the truck and went to peek around the back. Nothing. I went to the door of the station, located to the left of the bay doors. It was locked, of course. I almost knocked, but then I decided against it, realizing how stupid that would be if there was actually someone in there. I moved around the corner of the building and looked in the office window. I saw movement, and whoever caused the movement must have seen me because they quickly moved towards the front door. I waited around the corner in anticipation that I would soon be fighting for my life. I heard the door open, and I crouched down in hopes that I could surprise the converted and hit it or shoot it before it saw me. To my surprise, a gun barrel was the first thing I saw. The converted uh, never figured out how to use weapons, really, but that didn't mean I was safe. The last person I saw with a gun tried to capture us and feed us to his pet converted. I slowly moved to grab the barrel before the owner of the gun could see me. And as I grabbed it, it was fired. My hand burned immediately. I looked and saw the owner, and he saw me. I had a long relationship with guns. I certainly wasn't against them. I used them for hunting, and we always had them in our house growing up. My grandfather was a hunter and always taught us how to shoot and how to do it safely. I remember the first gun I got to shoot by myself, besides a BB gun. It was a 410 shotgun. We were dove hunting. I knew enough about guns to be safe and use it properly, but I had not yet learned the full respect it deserved. I remember shooting the first dove and being so excited that I grabbed the barrel of the shotgun with my other hand so that I could shout for joy and raise my other arm. Burning is one of those types of pain that create a distinct memory, kind of like certain smells. 
I remember that pain, and I feel it again now. But that's okay, because staring at me is Casey. Suddenly, Casey hit the ground in front of me. I forgot Mark was waiting in the truck. He hadn't seen Casey's face, and he assumed I was in danger, so he had tackled Casey to the ground. I found myself jumping in between the two while trying to explain to Mark who it was. Casey seemed okay, and Mark was good too. I guess it is a good thing that I had taken the shotgun with me, or that might be what Mark was using instead of a tackle. Casey opened the bay door and we pulled the truck in. The bay door closed just in time as we started to hear footsteps coming down the pavement in front of the station. The sound had obviously drawn some attention. We locked the doors and followed Casey inside into the living quarters. He had obviously been there for a few days at least because there was stuff everywhere and he was looking a little rough to say the least. But he was alive and we were glad to see him. Casey quickly explained that the converter had overrun the hospital, much like it did in our town. When it happened, he was asleep at the station and his partner had gone over to the hospital to check on someone and grab something from the kitchen. He said his partner never returned, and he woke to the sound of the ambulance being smashed to pieces. He didn't have his truck with him, so his only option was to bunker down in the station for the last two weeks. Casey said he tried to leave multiple times, but every time he got out, he would make it just a few yards before he would start to hear the footsteps. It was already dark out, and we all needed to rest, so we talked about our plan for tomorrow and then found ourselves drifting off. Casey's family was at the same compound as ours, and the plan was simple. Casey would load up with Mark and I, and we would take off. Casey's a survivor, and it was good to have him. I went to sleep with hope for the first time in days. That hope wouldn't last. Okay, so you're joining us again on The Converted, and uh, we have added our newest member to the crew, and um, hopefully uh, we'll, we'll find some way to continue on to the coast. Hopefully Casey has some supplies that can be useful to us so um we did post a drawing of uh of what we're thinking this scene might look like in fact i did the drawing myself and you'll you'll see that i'm not uh the artist that i'm looking for for this job so if you find the drawing on our facebook page or on my facebook page either one please feel free to uh introduce some some changes on your own take that drawing make it your own see what we can do to make it better but um stay tuned next time we'll be headed towards um towards fort hood so we're gonna get out of gatesville there's a giant prison there uh there could be some things involved there so uh hopefully we'll we'll see you next time on em talk as we continue on with the converted <laughs>